I would invite you to take your Bibles, if you brought one today, and find Genesis chapter 20 as we resume our series, Faith of Our Fathers, and uh, back into the life of Abraham. Uh, I have to tell you that when I was a little boy, my mother uh, deeply instilled into all of us kids a genuine sense of the omnipresence of God. Uh, we were, this was just drilled into us. I can still, I can even remember once playing by myself and suddenly it was like, are you watching me right now? Now I can't tell you that, I can't honestly tell you that, that, that there was a sort of a fear of God there, but it didn't transfer into a love for God. It didn't then raise my hands and give glory to the one who saw me. But I'm here to tell you if, if we can get to that place, where we have this constant awareness of God and his presence. And not just be aware of it, but glorify him in that. Praise him during those times. Then we get to a place that the reformers called living quorum Deo. That's a, a Latin phrase. It's a cool phrase. It's a Latin phrase, which basically means, literally means to be before the face of God. But the idea to the reformers to live life quorum Deo meant to live all of your life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. Uh, R.C. Sproul, the late great R.C. Sproul, said that this quorum Deo is what he called the big idea of the Christian life. And I agree with him. It really is. Here's my own personal definition of what it means to live quorum Deo. Now, the Bible's expression is, is a little more fearful. In fact, it is the word fear, to fear God. What does it mean to fear God? We're told to fear God. And I'm saying to you, if you lived and learned to fear God in the biblical sense of the word, then you'll live life quorum Deo. And that's my encouragement to you today. Here's my operating definition. That means to have a constant sense of God's presence, maintaining an ongoing look for his leading, and cultivating a willingness to change for his glory. Again, a constant sense of God's presence, maintaining an ongoing look for his leading, and cultivating, uh, and I might even add a heart, cultivating a heart willingness to change for his glory. Now, as we resume our study of the book of Genesis and the life of Abraham, we have to remind ourselves of what a towering figure this man was. How he just sort of looms over far above most of the other patriarchs and other men and women in the Bible. I mean, here's a guy who, who is literally obeys God, leaves his town, leaves his family, does bring a remnant of his family with Lot with him, but he leaves Ur of the Chaldees. He, he, he moves into the land of Canaan. He, he rescues, he goes on a rescue mission to save Lot. He meets with God. He's an old man, so is his wife, Sarah. And God says, you're gonna have, you're, you're not even gonna be able to number the children you have. And Abraham believes God, and it's accounted unto him for righteousness. And thus, we have the premise, we have the basis, we have the biblical theology of what it means to have a relationship with God. How do you come into that relationship with God? You do it by faith. And then Abraham, God enters into this 
this covenant with Abraham. Remember when, God, when he cut all those animal parts, he walked between, he went to walk between them, but God put Abraham asleep. God goes through the parts by himself and affirms the covenant. Powerful. The last we saw this man, Abraham, oh, and is, is when he was standing before God. Cormdale, interceding on behalf of Lot, living in this abjectly sinful society in Sodom and pleading for his life. Coram Deo. It all looks good. But here in chapter 20, he slips again. And this becomes a very powerful warning to you and me as we enter into this new year. Not to assume that the close fellowship you have with God today will, is a guarantee that it'll be there tomorrow. Thankfully, Abraham's life is not recorded like some of your phony Facebook posts. All neat and clean. The Bible paints a very real picture of God's people. So Noah gets drunk. Moses gets angry. David commits adultery. Peter denies the Lord. You get the picture. And yet, the same Bible describes Noah's finding grace in the eyes of the Lord Moses talking face to face with God. David, for all he did, still being a man after God's own heart, and Peter leading the church. What grace. And aren't you glad there's hope for you and for me, amen? Now this is the last recorded lapse of faith in Abraham's life. Not that it was, the, but the only recorded one, and it's one we need to learn from. It's gonna help us as we launch into 2018 with the idea of living life Cormdeo. Now on the surface, the story of Abraham and Abimelech is gonna look like a repeat performance if you've been with us in our study. It's gonna say, wait a minute, we've, we've seen this before. And you have in chapter 12 and down in Egypt. It's very similar. And old habits die hard. But this story actually reveals something deeper, the very heart of the reason why we lack faith from time to time and why sometimes we fail in our walk with God. And the reason for it is because we cease to fear God and live life corm deo. So with that, the chapter itself, Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned near Gerar. Remember where he sojourned. And Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she's my sister, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, behold, you're a dead man, because the woman whom you've taken, she's a man's wife. Now Abimelech, had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you, you kill innocent people? Did, did he not himself say she's my sister and she herself say she's my brother? She was in on the lie. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. This is an amazing statement to me. This is God talking to a pagan in a dream and acknowledging his integrity. 
He was not a follower of God. Listen, God doesn't, know, doesn't just know what's going on in your hearts. He knows what's going on in everybody's hearts. And he's dialoguing in this dream with this pagan king, and he said, that's the reason why I kept you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her, verse 7. Now then, re- return the man's wife, for he's a prophet. First time the word prophet's ever mentioned in the Bible. Abraham is, li- is called a prophet. But he describes the prophet Abraham in very priestly-like terms because he goes on to say, God says, he will pray for you and you'll live. But if you do not return her, know that you'll surely die, you and all the yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, told them these things. The men were very much afraid. Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Again, this is a pagan king talking. A Canaanite king, no less. I mean, the Canaanites were about as vile and wicked as you could possibly be. And yet, listen carefully, even to a Canaanite, adultery was a sin. Just think about that a little bit. Verse 10, Abimelech said to Abraham, what, what, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, and this is going to be this is going to be the money shot right here, okay? I did it because I thought there's no fear of God in this place. And they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is my sister and daughter of my father. Notice how the deceptive heart works here. And she, and she gave my wife and is gonna. And I said to my wife when we were there, this is the kindness I, I want you to do for me. Every place in which we come, say, say he's, he's my brother. I mean, this whole conspiracy started back in Ur. Verse 14, Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male servants, female servants, gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, watch this. Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Notice what he called Abraham. A little jab there. Hey, I gave your brother, wink, wink, a bunch of silver. And notice what he says, what he does for her. To Sarah, verse 16, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all. By the way, 50 shekels is all it cost in that day for a bride. And what Abimelech does, he gives Sarah the price of 20, 20 brides just to prove he was innocent and she was innocent. Verse 17, Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife, female slaves, so that they would bear children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. This is very ironic to me because, remember, Sarah is the one whose womb had been temporarily closed, right? And by the way, this is the very first, this is just a little trivia, but it's more than trivia. This is going to be meaningful to some of you. This is the very first healing in the Bible that is associated with intercessory prayer. Did you know that? First one. Now think about this. The very first healing in the Bible as a result of intercessory prayer, you praying for me, me praying for you, in this case, Abraham for Abimelech and family, is not so that somebody will rise from the dead or go from lame to standing, blind to seeing, but that they might conceive. 
Think about that. And I, I know that God is the one who opens up the womb. Amen? The fruit of the womb is his reward. But I would just say to those of you who struggle with infertility, why don't you just go to God and say, God, I know that you're sovereign. You can do whatever you want. But if you, if you would just do for me what you did for a pagan king and the very first miracle that occurred in healing through intercessory prayer, would you do that for me? Now, God is God, and he does whatever he pleases, amen? And so we always lay that at his feet and say, your will be done, but just a thought. So Abraham's reasoning for his lie really betrayed his false perception and his hypocrisy. Look at it again. There is no fear of God in this place. That's what he said to Abimelech, right? And they'll kill me because of my wife. If you looked at verse eight, just the opposite was true. The king and everybody around him shuddered at what might happen, and they changed their ways, didn't they? Which, by the way, is the very definition of what it means to fear God. In other words, they did fear God. It was Abraham who didn't fear God, at least not at the time, anyway. So here's what I want to do for the balance of our time. I want to talk to you as you move in to 2018 to live your life Cormdale. In the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. And do so by starting every day with him. Listen, I know I beat this drum incessantly, and I will continue to beat this drum incessantly. I don't read my Bible because it's a way in which God speaks to me. I read my Bible because it's the way God speaks to me. You say, well, doesn't God speak to us in other ways? Yes, but how do you know for sure? I know for sure he's talking to me when I'm reading his word because it's his word. And we have to be convinced of this. If we're going to live our lives Cormdale, then we have to be convinced that the Bible is God's word to me. I need it every single day. I, I remember, I've shared this story before, but several years ago, I, I walked into this knick-knack shop, this lady that uh, was in the church I was pastoring. She hadn't been, in, she suffered with anxiety and she hadn't been in church for some time. And, and so I just visited with her. We were the only two in the shop. And I asked her, I said, I said, tell me, how's it going? She goes, well, you know, it's going okay. I said, are you, are you reading your Bible? She goes, no, I don't read my Bible, but I pray all the time. I said, oh, you do? She said, yeah, I mean, when I get up in the morning, I'm in bed and I'm praying. When I'm walking around the house getting ready, I'm praying. When I take the 20-minute drive to the shop, I'm praying. In fact, when nobody's around, like just before you came in, I'm praying, I'm praying to God all the time. I said, so you're praying, but you're not reading your Bible? No, no, I, I don't read my Bible. And that's when I said to her, I said, Joyce, you're telling God to shut his mouth while you do all the talking. So we need both, do we not? And listen to what the writer, how the writer of Proverbs put it. I want to read this to Proverbs chapter. Here's what Proverbs says in chapter uh, two. My son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. 
Yes, if you call out for insight, raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasures, then you'll understand, watch it, the fear of the Lord, Coram Dale, and find the knowledge of God. You need to understand the fear of the Lord before you're able to live the fear of the Lord. That's why we need the word of the Lord. And if you'll do that, and if you'll commit yourself to this, you'll begin to grasp what it means to live life Coram Deo. Secondly, you live Coram Deo by regularly sitting or kneeling or standing before him. Now, when we left off with Abraham before chapter 20, remember in chapter 19, what was he doing? Lots down there getting ready, getting ready to be annihilated with all of Sodom and Gomorrah, but here is Abram standing between God and Lot interceding, standing before God, Coram Deo, in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. But he has slipped. This year in 2018 is going to bring a lot of things to a lot of you. Some of you are going to suffer this year. Some of you are going to have your hearts broken this year. Within your lives, you're going to struggle. You're going to grow. You're going to hurt. You're going to sin. And sometimes your hearts will be full and sometimes they'll be broken. And more than anything else, our hearts these days are distracted. We're all, so many of us are like Martha. You're looking at your phone right now. If Martha could live today, she'd be on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram and Snapchat and the whole nine yards. Just like some of you are. You're utterly distracted. But if you will learn to sit, 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 kneel, stand before God, undistracted in confession and adoration and prayer, then you'll become more like Jesus, who did the same. Remember what Paul said, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed as we behold the glory of the Lord into that same image from one level of glory to the next, 2 Corinthians 3.18. If we will do this, if you will commit yourself to this, you will begin to grasp what it means to live your life, Coram Deo. Thirdly, by living throughout your day aware of him. Aware of him. This is where we need to be. I mean, just the other day, yesterday in fact, my wife was over visiting one of our kids and their kids, and I had one of our kids in our home. It wasn't like we had to split them up, just the way it was. And... Uh, one of my boys wanted to share some exciting news with me, and so he was. And my grandson was sitting right next to him, and he was looking at a book that his nana normally reads to him. And in the middle of it, he kind of looks up, he says, Papa, where's nana? Like he just suddenly aware that she wasn't there. And I think that's the way we are sometimes. We just aren't aware of the ever presence of God. We need to be more like David who said, I have set the Lord always before me. Have you ever read that? Psalm 16, verse 9. 
Now, that doesn't mean we have to take God you know, and plop him here. He's there. But we need to be aware of it. And some of us are just not living quorum Deo. Spurgeon said, I never go 10 minutes throughout the day without a conscious awareness of God. Remember when Hagar, uh, back in chapter 16, remember Sarai shooed her off. Remember, she goes off with her kids. She's going to die in the wilderness. God meets her, takes care of her. And remember, she said, you, Lord, see me. Remember that? But what, because of that great statement, people missed the next statement. Here's what the next statement she said, and it's right out of the Hebrew. Here's what she said, and it's a question. Would I have looked here for the one who sees me? What a great question for us. Would I have looked here for the one who sees me? Remember what Henry Blackaby made famous, the line, look for where God is working and join him there. But you gotta be looking. You can't look unless you're aware. Remember Jacob who runs off from his brother Esau. God meets him, there's a ladder. He comes to himself, he wakes up, he says, surely the Lord was in this place, but I wasn't. What? What's our word? I wasn't what? I wasn't aware of it. Let me tell you something. If you will practice this, Throughout your day, being constantly aware of God, that'll keep you out of huge trouble. Chuck Swindoll said years ago when he was a young pastor, he was in an elevator at a conference going up to his room, and there was a woman, a stunningly attractive woman in the elevator with him, and she was clearly coming on to him. And he talked about how attractive she was and how he was drawn to that attraction. He looked at her, and then he said, then I remembered my God, my wife, my family, my testimony, the elevator door opened, I ran. Listen, I know this allurement. The Bible warns us of these allurements. When I was in a little church many years ago, uh, I was it. There wasn't any other pastor, I had no secretary, I went to the place by myself, it was out in the middle of the country, no city right around it. And one day this woman came in that we had led to Jesus. She was stunningly attractive. And she, well, there was something about her character that made all of us just sort of shudder just a little bit. And she came into the church that day and I met her in the foyer. And she started talking to me about her problems. And I was becoming increasingly uncomfortable. At the same time, I noticed how stunningly beautiful she was. She got right into my space. You know, the, the uncomfortable part? Without touching me. And I was just, suddenly, I looked at her and I said, you know what? Um, we live just three miles down the road here. Why don't you get in your car? I'll get in my car and we'll go up and we'll meet with my wife. Guess what? She didn't want to do that. But God saved me that day. Because in the moment, I remembered him. And if we're gonna live our lives, corm deo, then we gotta get to where David was when he said, I've set the Lord always before me. And to have that conscious awareness of his presence at all times. Fourthly, 
by making changes that glorify him. And I could almost italicize uh, him or God there at the end. Because if you want to know whether or not you're living Coram Deo, if you want to know whether or not you're living in the fear of the Lord, ask yourself, when I'm confronted with the truth, if I'm, if I'm confronted when I'm sinning, do I change? Because if you don't change, I got news for you. You don't fear God, and you're certainly not living Coram Deo. I can prove it to you. This is exactly what the psalmist said when he said, because they do not change, therefore they do not fear God. We have it. We'll put the verse up there. You want to know whether you fear God? Ask yourself whether you change. There it is. But remember, the point is making changes that glorify him. Our changes are not meant to be for personal glory. Do I need to say that again? They're not meant to be for personal glory. One of the scariest things we're seeing in our day are these diets, these exercise programs, these lifestyle changes that are all intended, ostensibly so, for one's personal glory, one's personal benefit, you know, one's financial success, one's own health, and on and on. Hey, whatever happened to whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Is that just church talk? Whatever happened to the, the Thanksgiving Psalm where God says that we're, we're told that he leads us in paths of righteousness, watch this, for his name's sake. And how about that Mantra so many of you have memorized and you claim for your own life, in all your ways acknowledge him. Whatever happened to that? Listen, if we can get to that place where we're making changes for his glory's sake, then we'll start to grasp a little bit what it means to live lives Cormdale. Then by raising your family for him. That's the fifth thing I'd point out. And we don't have the time here this morning, but I want you to write a couple of references down. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 and 9. Judges 2, 7 and 9. That's where we're told that after Joshua died and the elders that were with him, after that generation died, the entire nation of Israel went bad. Began to live in an evil way. It only took one generation and it, we're told why. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't even told about the ways of God. Also write down Deuteronomy 4 and verse 9, my wife's, one of my wife's favorite passages that talk about the transmission of truth to our children. Listen, it's hard enough to raise your kids to know, trust, and love God while actively you know, pointing them to him. How much worse if you're not doing it at all? I just talked to a dear friend of mine in another state. He's been in the ministry for years. He's a godly man. He has a godly wife. He has five kids. Four of them have rejected Jesus Christ. I myself have a son who doesn't love Jesus. It breaks our hearts. And it's breaking your hearts, those of you who have children who don't love Jesus. 
as I said, it's hard enough when you're putting everything into it to raise up kids for God. And I don't know how it works. I know that God saves. I know that God mysteriously uses my efforts and your efforts to teach the truth, truth to preach the gospel to our kids, to save them. I know that I'm somehow responsible, but at the end of the day, salvation is of the Lord, amen? But let me tell you something. If you are not actively leading your children to know, love, and be passionately in love with Jesus Christ, you are aid and abetting their damnation. And let me tell you something else. Your kids hear your words, but they will follow your passions. You want to see something fascinating? Turn over a couple pages to chapter 26 to this promised son. He's come, we're jumping ahead in the, in, the, in the saga here, but here's Isaac, the son of Abraham. Look at chapter 26, verse one. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to, where did he go? Gerar. To Abimelech, king of the, not the same, Abimelech was more like the president or prime minister. It's, it's a designation, not a, not a personal name. Look at verse six. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she's my sister. For he feared to say, she's my wife, thinking they'll kill me. They'll take my wife. One of the hardest things to experience is the repetition of your sins in the lives of your sons or daughters. And I know this repetition. I know this feeling. I've seen a number of my foibles and sins replicated in my children's lives, and it's not just embarrassing. It's, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's, it's humbling. And... It causes me to repent even more deeply about my life. If we will raise our families for Jesus Christ, and I'm not a prude. I love sports. I love all that kind of stuff. I love, I love to live life. But they need to know that your real passions, the, the ones that, that oversee everything else, that supersede everything else, your real passion is Christ himself. Then you'll know, and maybe they will too, a little bit of what it means to live Coram Deo. And finally, as we make our way to the Lord's table, by giving your feelings to him. We have got to get to a place in this feeling, touchy-feely world that we live in that is completely infiltrated and to some degree taken over the church. We gotta get to a place where we see facts above feelings. Principles above over passions. As one writer put it, the Bible wastes very little time on our feelings, unquote. And that's a true statement. The writer of Proverbs says, he who trusts in his own heart and his own feelings is a fool. And so we live in this society dominated by feelings. And, and, and when I see, this is disheartening to me. When I see Christians operating utterly and in some cases completely on their feelings and their aspirations rather than on God.
and his promises and his word and trusting him, fearing him. Unlike Abraham, who was trusting his feelings at this point. Now, I mean, I got to tell you, uh, over the Christmas vacation, took a week off, and my wife and I binged on The Crown. It's on Netflix. I'm not telling you to watch it. But it's pretty interesting. Here was, uh, mostly follows the life of Queen Elizabeth, still alive today, now in her 90s. Uh, takes you all the way back in the 30s, and, and, uh, and now she's queen and the last episode in the first season, it's just a powerful moment. The queen has given her blessing to her little sister Margaret to marry this great guy who was a national hero, but he'd been divorced. But she was inclined to, to just to give her her blessing. But then when she met with the church and heard from the scripture, she calls her sister in. And she says to her sister, that while she's inclined to give her her blessing, she said, I have to remember who I am. I have to remember the crown. And no, you may not marry him. It was a powerful moment. You felt for Margaret. But I looked at my wife and I said, this is where Christians need to be. Sometimes we just have to be more like Jesus and less like Abraham and be able to stand before God, acknowledge our feelings, we put him on the table, we let him see our tears, he's capturing him in a bottle anyway, and we say, God, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Because the crown is more important than my feelings. God, look, God loves you he cares for you. He does capture your tears in a bottle. He understands your broken hearts. But listen, it's not about the broken heart within you. It's about an exalted God above you. And if we're going to live, Coram Dale, he has got to reside above all these things. And even my feelings. And so we have to learn to give them to Jesus. And if, if we do that, will begin to grasp what it means to live life Coram Dale. In the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. And you're not going to do that unless you have a relationship with the living God through the incarnate word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, who rose again for you, and beckons you to come to him. If you'll trust him as your personal Lord and Savior, he'll wrap you in his righteousness, and he'll put you on your way to living life. Coram Deo. May we pray. Our Father, with gratitude we come before you. Thank you so much for your word, for the story of Abraham, and through his foibles, through his failure, we are reminded of how important it is for us to live our lives to fear you. Coram Deo. God, help us to that end. Help us to see the importance of hearing from you in your word, talking to you in prayer, sitting before you, undistracted. God, help us to have this constant awareness of you and thus avoid many of the tem temptations and sins that so threaten to swallow us up 
and forgive us, Lord. There are some of us who have already capitulated. Some in this room have already given in. They're giving in right now for that matter. And I pray that you would help them to be humble right now before you because you are a God. You, you are a God who will love, forgive, restore, and use your people for your glory. I pray for those here who don't know Jesus, that they would find the love of God and forgiveness that comes through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Lord, this is such, a, this is such an appropriate way to end our time this morning thinking about Jesus Christ. Help us to live Coram Deo, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.